Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. You make sure of that. Um, there's an airport in Ecuador that is infamous to all pilots and because I love I am a pilot and I love reading about harrowing experiences which is kind of a sick thing but I'd still like it Um, uh, you have to be a master pilot to get into this airport and um, it's got mountains all around it's got a short runway you have to hit the runway exactly the right way or you hit the face of a mountain And if you don't hit it exactly the right way, you fly off the other end of the mountain. It's not a really safe place, and pilots notoriously uh, dread going in there. But after they've done it, they go, yeah, I got my my mark on my belt. What do you do when you fly into a place like that that's got fog and rain? Well, all of us, and if you've ever been on an airplane and you've been in inclement weather, you've probably landed in an airport that was being rained on and there were clouds and there's certain rules for pilots and there's certain ceiling heights and that means how far above the ground um, the fog the clouds can be and usually there's a minimum and so technically speaking no one ever lands an airplane exactly in the mountains but here's the deal on most of those settings, it's 200 feet above the ground. Well, guess what? That's three times the height of a jet. It's not that much room for error. And you need to hit the runway right down the middle. And so we pilots are trained to use instruments. And all of these instruments are something that gearheads and engineers love to do, but it's not very friendly to your senses, your eyes. You have to constantly be recalibrating and rethinking about what you're doing when you hit the stripes on that runway. And you have to be at the right angle, at the right speed, in the right location, or you run into all kinds of dangerous things that make for a very bad day. Well, one of the things that the engineers who played video games started doing is why don't we just create a a reality taking all the data that's around us and create a picture that looks like daylight in the middle of the night in the fogs when the fog's coming in and you'll hit it because the data's coming into you through all the information that's now available because we now have the technology to do that you know what that's called that's called synthetic vision that's what the industry calls it And uh, it is an incredible safety device. And right now, most of the airlines don't have it. You know who has it? Private pilots. Because the cost to train pilots per hour in the air is about $500 uh, per hour for every of the 13,000 pilots that, say, Delta has. That's a lot of money. So they still use the old stuff, and they just they do fine. The point is, 
There's coming a day in the near future where nearly every airplane will have that, which will enhance the safety of everybody. Last week, I used the illustration of a puzzle and how a lot of us are trying to put the puzzle pieces together, but we're not seeing the box top. A new metaphor is I'm trying to give you synthetic vision about where you're going. And we, we, last week, we talked about the landmarks of your spiritual journey. We've been talking about a life of pilgrimage. What I'd like for you to do is uh, throw up that um, disciple graphic that we showed last week. And one of the, no, not that one, the other one. That's a good one. In fact, what we're doing is talking about developed. Part of the goal for all of us is that we get spiritually developed into spiritual maturity. And so using the word disciple, D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E, we kind of delineated two halves of a spiritual life. On the one side, our first step is that of developing devotion to Jesus. Then we begin to get identity and foundations. Then we get into service and ministry. Now, one of the things that I'd like to... I, I had several conversations last week. People said, I really love this. This is really... I like synthetic vision. I like to know I'm about ready to hit the runway. I'm, I'm really glad that the runway's over there and I can see it and I'm not just trying to calibrate in my mind real fast at, at uh, um, you know, 450 knots exactly where I'm going to hit that, that, that stripe in the middle of the runway. I don't know about you. Every time I did that, when I was flying by instruments, I would get through and I'd have sweat stains. It, 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 it's like, why do you do this to yourself? I don't know. We like the adventure. Some of us do anyway. But my point of all of this is, I'm, how many of you ever go to the mall and you, you, you don't, it's a mall you've never been in, which is true of most of the malls in this area for me. You go and you go, where's the sign? And Brenda always knows what I mean. It's the you are here sign. We all have this varying degrees of obsession about where are, where am I in this journey? Where, I, I want to know, I just, look, I just want to go to the one store that I'm going to. I, I could care less about the rest of them. In fact, I think malls are disappearing, aren't they? Okay, um, so that's kind of a setup, and this middle thing, the, the C, is the wall. And really, what I would like to, we're going to get in today kind of describing, and I had several people ask me, yeah, I think I've hit a wall in my life. Oh, wow, I didn't know I was hitting a wall. A lot of us didn't. I didn't know when I had hit the wall. What is exactly the cause of the wall? And what is, how do we get through the wall or go around it or avoid it? All of those are legitimate questions in your spiritual journey with Jesus. 
And I'm going to we're probably not going to explore all of the aspects of this today, but I, we're going to kind of focus on this element of the wall. Spirit, a, a service and ministry, another way of saying it is spirit-filled ministry. You, you get filled with the Holy Spirit, which, you know, everything about this deal is about grace, except when it's not. And the, except when it's not is when we grow up. See, God actually does want us to grow up. And that's, a, that's something we can't make happen, but we can retard or we can accelerate it. And so part of what I want to look at today is moving us from spirit-filled over here to a power of a spirit-led life. And they're two completely different states of ministry and lifestyle. And so part of what God has to do is he has to take us through a series of events that are often cataclysmic in their crisis. Now I've got two texts for us today. And the first one is out of the book of Job. And the second one is out of first Corinthians. So if you want to look, it's just one verse. The first one is Job 42, verse 5. And, and, and I want you to listen for the two phases, the two big landmarks of Job's life. Job 42, 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I, I, I love Eugene Peterson's take on it. In the Message Bible, I admit, I once lived by rumors of you. Now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I'm sorry, forgive me. I'll never do that again. I promise. I'll never again live on crust of hearsay and crumbs of rumor. He has such a talent for, that's a, mostly a commentary there, not really so much scripture, but it's a good commentary. And so many of us, when we're young believers, we live off of crusts and crumb. And in a way, that's perfectly okay. Because we're infants, we're young. Let me read you another verse. And this is a verse that is expressing apostolic perplexity. And this is Paul talking to the first Corinthian church. And he says, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for it. And here's why you're not ready for you're still of the flesh for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? behaving only in a mere human way for when so so let's just stop right there what do you mean in a human way that's what i am right no you're actually not you're part of a resurrection race 
that has never existed on the planet until Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the first people decided to join that resurrection race. We, that's why every tribe, tongue, and nation gets a new identity when they get born again. They become part of a new race, a royal priesthood. There's, there's all these metaphors that God's trying to communicate with us that something unique and special has transpired in our life. <laughs> but evidently, you can get stuck in babyhood perpetually and forever until you go get to meet Jesus. And unfortunately, a massive amount of, I believe, Christ's body in the world, maybe even throughout history, have remained in those, the state of infanthood or childhood or puberty or adolescence. And there's been very, 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 very few of us that have advanced beyond those levels of maturity. And so what God is trying desperately to do, and he did it with Israel, which was a perfect example, and we started looking at the life of pilgrimage through the eyes of the Exodus. And so the children of Israel kept failing the test. And and we, we talked about all the tests that God gave them so that he could advance them into the promised land that they were never able to get to. And that, that illustration of a whole nation is one we all need to take so seriously. So what is God's means of getting us to the, the next level of maturity? And God, one of my favorite verses that I memorized, and I'm drawing a blank on the reference. It's in Jeremiah. But let him who boasts, boast in this. Let him who glory, is one translation. Let him who pulls his suspenders out and goes, yep. Spiritual pride, I don't think we actually can allow that. It's not really that kind of boasting. But it's the kind of knowledge that we get, and here's what we... Here's what the the boast is in. That I know and I understand the Lord. Wow. It's not just no knowledge about God, but you actually know Him. It's not that you just heard all this stuff about God and you kind of, yeah, I believe that. But you've moved from that category to somebody who goes, yeah, I really know it. I, I I don't just know it because I've been eating crumbs and crust. I know it because... I have begun to discover the Lord. And so the Lord uses, the metaphor that we're using is the wall. And so let me give you six types of wall that most people encounter. And by the way, this is research. A number of others have done this. When I saw this, it was kind of like, oh my goodness, I've been flying by instruments, and now I'm getting some synthetic vision. I can actually see the runway from 100 miles off. I don't have to just, you know, those sweat stains are still probably going to show up. But the, 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 the point is, it was like light bulbs started going off like crazy. Now, my, some of you may go, well, I, this, you know, I don't even know what you're hardly talking about, Steve. That's okay. 
my, my dog, you know, when, um, when our kids were little, uh, Brynn and I occasionally would get a little affectionate in front of our kids and we'd kiss. And the boys always would say, ooh, yuck. And Andrea, who was the youngest, she'd go, ooh, yuck. But our third child, Bethany, would say, I like kissing. So I just want all of you that maybe don't quite get it, just say, I like kissing. <laughs> okay, I want, I, you know, it's kind of like, they, they didn't get all the meaning of that, thank goodness, and we weren't going to explain it either. But uh, the point is, some of us don't necessarily have the understanding of what I'm going to be talking about, but I think most of us have an inkling of it. Most people, and this is kind of an interesting term and idea or concept, but it's a biblical one. The number 40 has a really important number. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. The children of Israel wandered around the desert for 40 years. Moses was 40 years old when he killed the Egyptian, and 40 years later he came out as the... And on and on and on. The high priest had to be 40 years old before he could serve as a high priest. That number 40 is a, is a key concept. And it's interesting, when I went through my wall, and, and I had several people say, man, I want to hear more about this. I think I've been through a wall. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just tell you a little bit of autobiography, okay? Um, I don't want I could, to, I could take the whole time today to do that, but I'm not going to do that. But it was St. Patrick's Day in New York City where the St. Patrick's Day Festival. That morning, I got up, and I did a presentation to a whole room full of investment bankers. Uh, the founder of the company that I worked for uh, took me to... We started walking up and down the um, various places between our meeting that morning along the Wall Street Manhattan area and he said uh, where do you buy your shirts from and I said Land's Inn and he said oh gosh you got to get beyond that I go really so he took me into Bergdorf Goodman that morning where shirts only cost $450 per and it's where Prince Charles would get his, uh, his shirts, and I, I, I was totally unimpressed and uninterested. That's just not me. But I didn't know they had shirts that expensive. I just checked it the other day. Now they're about seven or $800 a shirt. Uh, we went into St. Patrick's Cathedral. I'd never been there. Then we rode the elevators to about the 35th floor of one of the Madison Avenue penthouses where the investment banking firm that uh, we were doing a major credit um, facility with this firm and where I was being named the new CEO of a subsidiary of a publicly traded uh, real estate development and uh, construction company. And I was also getting papers signed to where I was going to be making a lot, a lot of money. And... 
I had the most expensive suit on that I'd ever had. It was a pinstripe, and I had a red power tie. We used to do that. And uh, I got sent up to a room, and I was sitting, standing there, and I could see my reflection. I mean, this seems like something you'd see in a movie. But I kid you not, it's exactly what happened. And that day, I, I, could, I said to myself, I could see my reflection, and I thought, not bad for a farm boy from Tennessee. And then it happened. And what happened was I heard the verse, voice of the Lord for the first time in years. And I mean, when I say years, it had been years. And when I say I heard the voice of the Lord... I was so tempted to turn my head around and look, but I knew it would be a waste of time. And the good news is that no one else was in the room. And in that self-congratulatory moment, when I heard the Lord say, when I was saying how much I, well done, good farm boy, the Lord said, then why do you feel so empty? And I began to weep, which you're not supposed to do in corporate boardrooms in Manhattan on Wall Street. I was actually on Madison Avenue. I was, I was, I was looking out over Central Park. And then he followed that question up with a statement, and he said, I miss you, son. And I just began to sob and it took me about two years to recover from that moment because that began my journey through the wall that had literally started ten years before, twelve years before, really. I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it again. A grizzly bear you can shoot through the heart at 40 yards away and it can still kill you that's how much blood pressure there is and they don't even know they're dead I probably got shot through the heart and I just didn't know it for a few years and because of my personality I suppressed it and denied it and where I got shot through the heart was through an, a terrible painful event in my life and that terrible, painful event, it was a family event. It was one that had to do with the church, believe it or not. And it was incredibly painful, and I'm not going to go into that. But what began to happen was I had been stuck in my relationship with God for 12 years. And part of that time I was completely aware of it, and the rest of it I was in denial and just wanted to try to ignore it and make it go away. <clears throat> so let me talk to you about the type of walls that you can hit. And I'll describe to you how I finally at the age of 40 got through my wall. And it didn't have to take so long. because I, But I didn't have synthetic vision and I didn't have a, a puzzle uh, top on my box of landmarks. I'm trying to give those to you so you don't have the same challenges. 
The first kind of wall that some of us hit is just the physical burnout, emotional and physical burnout. Basically from overworking in your job and your ministry and the church, and you just burn out. Oh yeah, we've got it. Then there's spiritual burnout. I call it compulsive spirituality, compassion fatigue. Ministry, 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 ministry. Read my Bible. I, if you read your Bible an hour a day, I'm going to read it two hours. It's like, really? Okay. And there's this, and some of us uh, are recovering workaholics. You know what a workaholic is, don't you? That somebody hasn't learned to trust Jesus yet. They're just trusting in themselves and their own self-effort. And, you know, shoot, that's America. It's a doctrine of, the, of America. Then there's a blowout. Blowout is moral failings. Adultery, getting immersed in some sort of cheating, stealing. How could they do that? They're a Christian. This is how. They hit the wall. They hit a wall and uh, they didn't know how to get through it. David hit that wall. He hit the, uh, let's see, he hit the moral failing of murder and he hit the moral failing of adultery. Those are just two that come to mind real quick. He got through it, though, to where he became a man after God's own heart. There's another one. And these are a little bit more nuanced. Personal crisis. Disease. Maybe you get sick. And you get prayed for. By the way, wasn't it? Great, our healing meeting Thursday night. Wasn't that amazing? Anybody want to sh- raise your hand just if you got an instant healing? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody else? There's a few more. Somebody prayed for, I don't know, one of these young college students prayed for me. On, I had insomnia, slept like a baby. Ever, I've just been sleeping like a baby ever since. Hallelujah. Um. Family problem, divorce. I mean, I, I've never met a couple yet that walked down the aisle that, that said, yeah, in about five years, 10 years, 15 years, I'm going to get a divorce, but we're going to be happy in the meantime. Never happens. Nobody expects these things, but they happen. You get fired from a job. That's a personal crisis. It, maybe it was, maybe your business failed. Maybe you have an unexpected tragedy in your life. Like someone dies that shouldn't have died. Maybe something like a child dying or a tragedy in an accident. A crippling accident. How about just depression and just really mental illness? I mean, mental illness is somebody else's problem, right? I mean, we like to hide people and yet Almost every one of us, I I like to say it, we're all mentally ill in one degree or another. That's why we have to get our minds transformed. You think bad, so you need to be renewed. You go, yeah, but I don't have that extreme thing. Well, you just haven't compared yourself to Adam and Eve before the fall. All of us need, we have brokenness in our life. Then there's another wall we hit. It's the faith crisis. It's the dark. 
It's the dark place of disbelief, cynicism, skepticism. All of a sudden, all those, you know, there's a thing called certainty. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of young believers have these certainties. They get real certain. They're so confident. They, 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 they just assert exact, without any gray areas everything about what they believe. That was, that was me to a T before I hit my wall. I had no, you know, I was, I was not, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not a naturally cynical person anyway, but all of a sudden I began to doubt everything except one thing, who the Lord Jesus was in the scripture. I never, I, I don't, I can't explain it. I never doubted those two things, but I doubted just about everything else. And then the final or, or sixth wall that you can hit is what St. John of the Cross, who was one of the early monastic believers, and he was Roman Catholic, by the way, and yes, I'm quoting him, uh, because Christianity existed for 1,500 years for the, due to those brothers in Eastern Orthodox, which we tend to judge and say we want nothing a part of them, and that's just... That's just living on the wrong side of that growth curve. That's really what that means. And so, St. John of the Cross called it a dark night of the soul, which ongoing spiritual dryness is a really nice way of saying unrelenting sense of God's abandonment. God, where are you? There is no sensation or it feels like any evidence that God exists. He's, he, every answer to prayer you've ever had, you completely forget. If you've actually seen miracles, you forget them and can't even recall them. That's how bad it is. And every one of these are the kind of walls that you and I will probably face. And they tend to be faced at the age of somewhere between, as I said last week, 35 and 45. Now, some people have hit these walls in their 20s. There's, there, that, when I actually hit my wall, I was 28 years old. And I was 40 years old in Manhattan that day. And for the next, really, two years of my life, I started going through the wall. <coughs> and what I, I actually just went through it real quickly and then started getting on the other side. So let's go back to our graphic. It's going to take them a while. So let me. So the question is, how do I get through the wall? And I'm not going to ask anybody to have a show of hands, but I can generally assume that somewhere between 10 to 50% of the people in any church are probably going through it, getting ready to go through it, or have come out of it. And we have all kinds of advice, and most of it's bad. 
And the reason it's bad is because we have a whole lot of people that have actually never gone through the wall. The church is filled with people that live on this right side over here. And I'm, I'm, and I'm saying including in, the, in the, the leadership. Because, so let me, let me just give you some of the key components of how you get through the wall. And it was really fascinating as I was, uh, I, I had my notes and I'd taken notes and while I was sitting there, and the Lord does this, he, he's my editor and I'm so thankful. Uh, he said, you know, you forgot the very first one that I dealt with you on. And I go, yeah, I can't believe I forgot it. And he said, well, it's so deep in your spirit, you know, you kind of presume on it. But the very first thing is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And let me, let, me, uh, let me just read you a couple. At the wall, we're usually asked to embrace our brokenness and our addictions and relinquish that which we've clung to, our resentments, our little idolatries. We counter, encounter oceans of unresolved grief covered by anger, bitterness, PTSD, ignoring it, Martyrdom, hurt, or fear. The wall's a place where we confront the desire to deny or disguise our inner self and begin to mentor the new man or the new self that God has given us through the rebirth. We begin to recognize all of those shadow selves that need to go to the cross. So the first step in recognizing this season of the wall is you've got to learn to forgive. And the first person you have to learn to forgive is guess who? You. Most of us are terrible judges of ourselves. You know, most of the time when I encounter somebody that's full of judgment, I know where it's coming from. They're practiced at judging themselves. Um, the other second term is surrender, surrender, surrender. Our responses to the Lord begin to change. We move from, more, from wanting more of God to wanting God to have more of us. Lord, we just, I just want more. I just want more. Well, that's actually a good prayer. It's just an immature one. As you get older, you begin to realize that's not the problem. He, hasn't, he has not constrained himself at all with what he has given us. He has withheld nothing from us. We have as much of God as we want. What the problem is, he doesn't have as much of us as he wants. Increasingly, we comprehend that the Father has withheld nothing of Himself. Limitations are always coming from one side of the relationship, precisely ours. We move from focusing on detachment to focusing on attachment. When we're younger, we see all the places we have to detach from. The lure and the seduction and the thought processes of the world systems our cultural influences, the flesh, and the lies of the devil. 
And as we mature, our energy begins to focus on attaching to the Lord, to His kingdom, to His life in both a spiritually and emotionally mature way. So I, wanna, I want you to show that graphic, Miles. I've got a little graphic. <clears throat> All the engineers and math majors, I don't, I won't, I'm not talking to you now. I am not patronizing you. But for those of you that go, I, don't, I really hated algebra. I got spiritual maturity on the, the Y. Yeah. Well, I wasn't going to use that. I was going to use the uh, vertical. And on the horizontal, we've got emotional maturity. Now, if you notice Christ-likeness, it's at a 45-degree angle. And that's because if you're on the graph, this is the ideal. This is, this is the ideal. So that we become... That's always the goal, folks. The goal of our instruction is love, to love like Jesus loved, to become like Jesus. You know, all of what we're talking about today is so you and I become a representation of what Jesus Christ looked like on the earth. We're, we're wanting identity confusion. People confuse us with Jesus. That, that's what we're, want, we're wanting. People go, you just remind me of Jesus. But... <laughs> So on a one for one, two for two, three for three, four for four, if you graph that out, that's what it would look like. Here's the problem. A lot of us and a lot of the church looks like this, and actually a lot of the world. I've met people that are so emotionally, have so much emotional maturity, but they're atheists. But they're a lot more mature than most, many of the Christians I've dealt with. And I've met Christians who are incredible, have all kinds of spiritual maturity. They can pray for hours, but they're emotionally stunted. And for us to become Christ-like, and this is just something we're going to work on in 2022, we're going to focus on developing ourselves emotionally as well as spiritually. We're not just going to be a people that are spiritually mature, full of all kinds of head knowledge, but emotionally lame ducks. Our marriages need to reflect the fact that we have learned how to comprehend who we are and who Jesus is for us. All right. You could say amen on that. All right, let me give you some other keys to getting through the wall. Here's the third one. When we praise the Lord despite our circumstances. That's a way to get through the wall. Let me write this. When we praise, we authorize and empower heaven to intervene in our life. Complaint authorizes and empowers the negative circumstances that surround us. Death and life from the power of the tongue, and those who love it eat its fruit. That's Proverbs 18.21. It's a good verse to know. What comes out of our mouth has incredible power and influence on unseen forces. It determines the spiritual menu from which we eventually dine, and others will dine as well. Let me explain. The others specifically are spiritual beings. When we sow words of death in circumstances, that, particularly that we don't like, 
we find ourselves serving up a meal for the devil. You go, why? Well, Satan dines on dust. That's his primary source of nutrition, according to Galatians 3.14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Later, the scripture describes the devil as a devourer and a ravenous lion. So when we resort to sowing words of complaint, gossip, slander, vulgarity, doubt, unbelief, and negativity, we offer up a meal that feeds our enemy. That's because the word flesh or carnal describes those elements of our life that die and return to the dust. The devil gets fueled while we starve. We deprive the enemy his groceries and reap a harvest of delicious fruit when we praise the Lord despite circumstances. That's because the seeds of life always produce the tree of life that was found in Eden's paradise. We're the only ones who can eat that fruit and how sweet it is. That's why endurance is so critical to us. It's the growing season between planting a seed and the harvest season. So keep praising the Lord. We need to learn how to grieve. That's another step. We do not know how to grieve. The Scripture tells when David and his mighty men, okay, these are like Navy SEALs and Delta Force guys, when they come back, it says when they found that their wives and children had been taken away by the Malachites, they cried until they could cry no more. Sounds like a pretty macho thing to do, doesn't it? You need to find somebody that's actually gone on the other side of the wall to help you get through the wall. Most of us have never... I had nobody like that. I mean, I did. I had the Lord, but I, didn't, I wasn't talking to him very much. Really didn't want to. I mean, it's like... I was, I was trying trying to ignore him, you know? I, I wouldn't let him catch my eye. Some of us don't like to acknowledge that. We go through religious motions. But we need somebody that can ask us, are you going through religious motions? <clears throat> We've got to, right, right on the right side, is we, we live our lives externally. Our mindset is the life as a Christian should be fair, orderly, and safe. So we view things in black and white categories. We're earnest about doing everything right. In our spiritual disciplines and activities, we're prone to legalism despite believing in God's grace. We live much more externally. We're, we're more aware of what others think of us than what the Lord thinks about us. Much of what we do is with an orientation about significance and purpose and destiny. All of these, of course, are good, but they still focus on externalities and superficialities. Now, please don't understand me, but I, I read this proverb of a rabbi. He said, when I was a young man, I wanted to change the world. When I became a father, I just wanted to change my, my state. When I became an older father, I just wanted to 
changed my city. As I got older and the kids started leaving, I just wanted to change my family. Now that I'm an old man, I just want to change myself. I wish I'd have started there. Can I just tell you, because we're a visionary movement called Antioch and we want to change the world for Jesus, doesn't mean you're not going to hit a brick wall. In fact, most really healthy movements, like the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, hit the wall sooner than later. And it's because God has great ambitions for him, but not unless you're equipped for war. And most of us have no idea how to fight, even though we think we do. We have mostly bombast and bravado. Moving from living from the outside, from the, uh, moving from externally living to living from the inside out. And that marks these side over here. I wish I, could have, I had more time to go into it, but I don't. The, at the wall, our world is turned upside down by overwhelming personal struggle or failure. We come out of the other side by resting in the empathy and the mercy of Jesus. Abandon ourselves to the Lord's sovereignty. After the wall, these right side landmarks, we step into a new world that paradoxically increases our self-awareness and knowledge of ourselves while dramatically reducing our self-consciousness, our self-centeredness, our self-referential and self-absorption, which a lot of spirituality on this side of the world are all of those things. We become increasingly other-aware. We're aware of the presence of God even in seasons when He is completely hidden. I like to laugh at the Lord and with the Lord now when he's hiding from me. It's like peekaboo, I see you. He said that to me one time. I'm looking for him. I'm going to find you. It's a delight. I mean, when you play peekaboo with your kids, isn't that what you do? You go and hide around the corner. And when they see you, they squeal. It's fun. Most of us are like this. I hate it. God's hiding. Because <laughs> we're adults. We've lost our wonder and our joy. The Lord is like that. He wants to play peekaboo with you. We're aware. We lose our insecurity associated with feelings of isolation, loss, and comparison. We move from begrudging others to appreciating and admiring even the worst among us. We move from having to choose to love others to a place where we can see in others the abiding intrinsic value of the image bearers of God that they are. I want to end with this. C.S. Lewis said this. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. 
There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, and civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is ours as the life of a gnat. But you've never met a mere mortal. They are made in the image of the eternal God. And when that begins to be your awareness, that rude clerk at the store who doesn't look at you no longer offends you. That person of the opposite political party who is ranting and raving and everybody on your side of the political party is denigrating them, you cringe because you know they're made in the image of God. You find that you no longer take sides the way you used to because you only want to be on the side of Him who died for everybody while they were in that state. Because you're beginning to start to enter Christ. You're learning to love. I mean, we're not even getting close to entering Christ-likeness yet. If you want to know where I think I am, I'm still way down here in inner life development. Every once in a while, I, I actually hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And just... I, I, the more I see about how I... I can just find myself increasingly getting... Re I don't get disgusted with myself. I just have to repent a lot. I just have to say, Lord, forgive me for thinking this person is lesser than me. Because I'm so... I'm a pastor. Gosh, doesn't that just reek? And I just repent. And the next thing I know, I find I, 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 I don't mind those offensive people anymore. How many of you play, pray for your, pray, your favorite political antagonist? How many of you do that? I do. I do. You know why? It helps me learn how to learn to love. See, this, this is where the church has to get. This is why I keep saying we can't, our political party is the kingdom of God. I didn't really want to end this way, but we're going to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end it different here. Here we go. Then we begin to overflow. That, that's kind of the result of this. A generosity of soul begins to emerge with others and with ourselves. We quit. Now listen, pay attention. I'm not saying what you think I'm going to say. We quit shooting on ourselves all the time. We quit shooting. S-H-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. It's not exactly a word. We quit shooting on ourselves all the time. We learn the practice of self-compassion versus self-indulgence. There is a difference. Compassion for others also enlarges as the struggle to love decreases. We quit struggling. Childlike wonder starts to peek through regarding others. Our eyes begin to leak in joy at the most incongruent times as we discover aha moments about the image bearers we run into. We find appreciative joy in others when we appreciate 
previously only found annoyance. We reorient to God's unfailing goodness and always present love. Gray areas in life no longer cause us distress. Difficult texts in the Bible or texts that contradict our understanding of life and truth move from troubling to comforting as we rest in the mysteries and the vast wisdom of God's nature. God's humility becomes self-evident as our reliance on our own powers of analysis and appraisal dissipate. We quit trusting in our own brain power and start just trusting in Him. We cease to be God's just and rest in His judgments. We cease to put God on trial. No longer do we insist on God's explanations about almost anything. Our questions to God are no longer laced with skepticism, accusation, and judgment. Instead, our questions are now filled with childlike curiosity. We find solace and rest and peace in His incomprehensible knowledge of everything. Humility before God feels less like capitulation of myself, but rather a reorientation to the magnificence of the most remarkable person in the universe. Our focus shifts from external behaviors to internal motivations. From doing from God for God to being with God. Now our spiritual rhythms can be more relational, flexible, and integrated in our daily life. We're quicker to extend grace to everyone, especially to those who are vulnerable, disadvantaged, or just simply annoying. And I just tell you, the state of North Carolina has one of the greatest mottos of any state I've ever I, I looked it up. I didn't find a single state I liked better. The motto of the state of North Carolina is to be rather than to sing. I believe that's a prophetic declaration of what the church in North Carolina needs to look like. We need to be a people that are what we profess. We don't seem like we're the people that we profess. Amen? Let's say it. Lord, we just ask you right now, To move us out of the desert at the foot of Sinai so that we could actually enter the promised land a whole lot quicker. Lord, I struggled way too long. But I, by your grace, I didn't struggle until I was an old man. And now, Lord, I feel like a kid. Lord, I just pray for every person in this room that they would have synthetic vision, that they would see the box top on the puzzle pieces, that they would understand and they'd be able to calibrate where they are in their walk with Jesus. And Lord, that we would never lose sight of our goal.